week four of a series that we've been calling Imago Dei, which is a Latin phrase that means image of God. We've been learning about the image of God and what it looks like to live with the image of God. And here's one thing you need to understand. When you live with the image of God, you go because the image of God is active and the image of God goes. I'm having a meeting after church today with a team from our church that will be going to Kenya in November. We've sent more than 100 people on global mission trips since our church started uh, four years ago. Why? Because the image of God goes. And as we've been talking about missions at our church, we've said, man, we've got to figure out a way to engage people at least little by little so they can get a heart and a passion to go. So we're looking at 20, 2017, 2018 and beyond, um, and we're looking at major cities in uh, the United States that we can do weekend mission trips in, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York City, so some of you can get a taste of the mission field without having to fly out of the, uh, you know, over the Atlantic or over the Pacific. Um, we're looking at things in Central America um, and a little closer even in Mexico where you can get engaged without having to leave for a long time. But we want you to learn that the image of God goes. One of the places we're looking at going in Los Angeles is a place called the Los Angeles Dream Center, which is an unbelievable ministry that ministers to homeless people in the largest homeless population in America, a place called Skid Row or that you maybe have referred to, heard referred to as Boxtown, a place is just cardboard box after cardboard box for blocks and blocks and blocks. I used to take my student ministry there every year when I was a youth pastor. And one of the years that we went to Los Angeles, I had a friend drive my car up to the airport. He dropped us off at the airport. And on the way back to my house, he ran out of gas. And I was in the air. He didn't know what to do. So he left the car on the side of the road. Um, he called a friend to have a friend come pick him up. And he waited till I landed in L.A. to say, I ran out of gas. Your car's sitting on the side of the road. What should I do with it? So when I got to L.A., I called him back. And I said, well, you know, either go get some gas and drive it home or have it towed home. Well, by the time they got back, all the windows had been busted out. And everything on the inside had been taken. The radio was gone. Um, my checkbook and some personal things that I left in the center console were gone. My sunglasses were gone. Um, they'd just taken everything. And even in Los Angeles, right? Like I wasn't a part of this instant. But even in Los Angeles, I felt violated because I'd been robbed. Um, I don't know if you've ever been robbed or had something stolen from you or taken from you. But it's a violation that's really difficult to even put into words. We had a family when we first started in our church that had their home in, broken into while they were away on vacation and had about everything taken. And they almost had to sell their house because they felt so unsettled in a home that had been robbed. Um, it's a violating thing to feel robbed. What if I were to tell you there's a place in the Bible where God says, I feel robbed. Um, I feel like someone has violated me. I feel like someone has stolen from me. Because as we enter Malachi chapter 3 today, that's what God says. God says, there are some people that are robbing me. And I want to point out this text to you. If you don't have a Bible, our usher's going to come down. Um, they've got Bibles you can use, so just wave at them if you want one as we go by. But in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, go ahead. If you don't have a Bible, just grab one. You can catch us up. I'm going to give a little bit of teaching as we get into this text. But I just want to read through it once. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12. And here's what God says. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. 
I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you have your sermon notes, I need to teach you a little bit of a history lesson so this text makes sense and God's comments make sense. At about 1000 BC, David, who killed Goliath, if you're familiar with that story, and his son Solomon began to reign in Israel. And for 80 years, David and Solomon reigned over a, a very united, very strong Israel as it became kind of a power player in the ancient Near East, Middle Eastern countries. Um, in 931, there was a civil war. Solomon died, his son took over, and there was a civil war in the country divided in two. Um, the northern part of Israel kept the name Israel. The southern part of Israel was named Judah. And for about 350 years, Israel was divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. And they were divided politically, and they were divided spiritually, which meant sometimes they loved God, sometimes they didn't. Half of them loved God, half of them didn't. They were divided politically, they were divided spiritually and slowly they started to just kind of devolve as a nation. As a matter of fact, over the next 350 years, we see that Israel and Judah would both be conquered and they would fall apart. In 722, Israel, the northern nation, was conquered by Assyria. They literally either killed everyone in Israel or they took them and they moved them to Assyria. So by the time 722 rolled around, there weren't even any Israelites or Jewish people living in Assyria. About 150 years later, over the course of three different battles, Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq, came in, and in three separate battles, they conquered Jerusalem. The last one in 586, they tore down all the walls of Jerusalem. They tore down the temple of Jerusalem. Any people that were left in Jerusalem, they killed. The ones that they didn't kill, they took back to Babylon. So by 586, there weren't any Jews living in Jerusalem or the southern part of the country. There weren't any walls around the great city. There wasn't a temple standing in the middle of the great city. And for about 70 years, there wasn't even an Israelite living in Israel. In 539, Persia conquered Babylon, and the king of Persia, his name was Cyrus, found all these Jewish, peoples, Jewish people living in Babylon. He said, y'all can go home. So in 538, a big group of them went home. They began to try to rebuild the temple because that was the first thing that was central to Israel, being able to worship. But after they got the foundations of the temple built, they got kind of busy. They said, you know, maybe we should build our houses before we build the church. Maybe they sh we should go dig the wells again before we build the church. Maybe we should plant the fields again before we build the church. And in 538, they kind of made this commitment. Listen, the, the church is important, but let's take care of ourselves first. And after we've been taken care of, we'll go back and finish the church, and they forgot about it. They forgot to build the temple for more than 20 years. So after 20 years, God sent two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to tell the people, listen, you're never going to prosper spiritually if you won't put God first. Finish the temple. So in 515, they finished the temple. And then in mid-400, a guy by the name of Nehemiah came back, and Nehemiah said the temple's built, but the walls aren't. So Nehemiah built the walls. So here we have, as we enter the book of Malachi, that's everything that's happened in the nation of Israel. I just gave you, gave you like a 500-year history. By the time Malachi gets to Israel, the Israelites have been rescued. Jerusalem has been rebuilt. The temple's been rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. But God wasn't recognized for having done any of that. God wasn't given the credit for having done any of that. The people living in Jerusalem, their world had been changed for the better. But their heart had not been totally changed yet. And Malachi said, I can tell that because of the way that you give. When Malachi showed up around the mid-400 B.C. century, Jerusalem's city and temple had been rebuilt, but the people were still not giving so that ministry could be done. So Malachi looked at him and he said, you know, you've come back to this place. God has rescued you. 
God has restored you. God has rebuilt your city. And here you are living for yourself. God has done all these amazing things for you. But your heart, the way you give, says that your heart is not grateful for it. And your heart doesn't recognize that it's God who has done it. Malachi, more than any other prophet, talks about tithing and giving through the lens of the heart. Malachi, if you didn't know this, was actually the last prophet of God to speak before there were 400 years of spiritual silence. These 400 years of silence were only interrupted by a guy by the name John the Baptist who was saying, hey, you need to meet my cousin. His name is Jesus. And for over 400 years, what Malachi predicted was this. Malachi says, as long as your hearts are hard, you're not going to hear anything spiritually. And for 400 years, the people of Israel had their hearts go hard. Look at the last words of the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but, but I noticed in my Bible, Malachi 4 transitions to Matthew chapter 1. There's 400 years between the last page of the Old Testament and the first page of the New Testament where God didn't say anything through anybody. Why? Because the people's hearts were hard. But Malachi said there's going to be a time coming when this happens. Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6. Malachi says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children. He'll turn the hearts of the children to their parents or else I'm going to come and I'm going to strike the land with total desolation. Malachi promised that if the people didn't soften their hearts and begin to put God first, that God was going to totally destroy him. But he said that won't happen because somebody's going to come who can change your hearts. Do you know that Luke, when he began the story of Jesus, Luke opened his book introducing John the Baptist with Malachi 4, 5, and 6. He quoted Malachi 4, 5, and 6 to say God said hard hearts would destroy people spiritually unless somebody came to change hearts. Well, John came as Elijah and Jesus came to change hearts. And as we at our church study the Imago Dei, as we study the image of God and what it means to have the image of God in us, we have to realize what Malachi was saying. The best way for you and I to learn what the image of God should look like is to learn and study the life of Jesus. Because if you know Jesus and you become like Jesus, your heart will be changed and you will live in the image of God. So Malachi said Jesus is coming to change hearts. But if Jesus doesn't come and change hearts, or if Jesus comes but the people's hearts don't change, Malachi said you're going to live in total destruction. And for 400 years that happens, and you would think God after 400 years would just say, hey, I'm done with you. But in a world where it seemed like God had gone silent, in a world where it seemed like God was done with people, God stepped into a world of hard hearts, and he gave. John 3.16 says that God sent his son to a world that didn't really want his son. God stepped into a world of hard hearts, and he gave. John 3.16 says he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, should not perish but have eternal life. So the image of God gives. And you and I, when we begin to live more like Jesus, we begin to be givers because God is a giver. And I believe we're living in a world again where people are wondering if God's going to do anything. And I'm talking about Christian people and non-Christian people. I'm talking about people of faith and people who have no faith. I'm watching like you guys are this election cycle play out and I'm hearing Christians and non-Christians saying, what is going on in our country? Where is God? What is happening? Is God going to do anything to help us? And we live in a world where I think people are searching for some kind of an answer. They want God to just speak with a thunderbolt to, to kind of tell us what to do and where to go and you know, how to get out of the mess that we're in. And people feel like God has gone silent. My marriage is failing. Where is God? 
My finances are failing. Where is God? I just lost another job. Where is God? My kids are sick. Where is God? My grandparents are dying. Where is God? Our country seems to just be in pure chaos. Where is God? And I believe into the midst of this world where it seems like God is silent, God wants to speak. And God speaks through giving and he speaks through the people of God who give. You see, we're in this five-week series because we believe God is going to use our church kind of as a megaphone as we build a building to say to our community, I'm here if you need me. We believe we're going to have people from our community who drive by our property every day and they're watching the church go up and at some point they're going to turn in the driveway and they're going to come in because they have, they have no other last resort. They've done everything that they can and they think maybe a church can help. Maybe God is real. And I believe God wants to use our church like a megaphone to speak once again into a world that's struggling to hear from God, into a world where hearts are hard. But for that to happen, the people of God have to understand how important it is to give. Because your giving lays a foundation for ministry that allows other people to hear who God is. Jesus actually said when you talk about the gospel, which is the good news of all people, for what Jesus did for them, God said when you talk about the gospel and giving at the same time, people will not hear the gospel because they're hung up on what you're saying about money. So God says in seasons that you're sowing the gospel, don't talk about giving, it chokes the message. So we know we're moving into a season as a church when we open a building and God uses our church as a megaphone to say, here I am. That's not the time to talk about giving. So when is it? It's before we move into that building for the people of God, the people of God to understand that when we live in the image of God, we kind of lay a foundation of giving that allows God to be seen in our world. So we're talking about giving because our God is not silent. And our God wants to speak loudly into this community. And I believe if we can learn to give like God has created us to give that our church can be a megaphone for the gospel in a community that's waiting to hear from God. But Malachi says there's a challenge in giving. It's not a financial challenge. Malachi says the real challenge of giving, specifically tithing, is a heart issue more than a money issue. Malachi says you can tell where somebody's heart is by how they give, because giving is a heart issue Not a money issue. Giving is actually, according to Malachi, a measure of how much you look like God. You know, when you're sick, you put a thermometer in your mouth and that thermometer will tell you what the temperature of your body is. Malachi says, if you want to know what your spiritual temperature is, look at your giving. Your spiritual temperature can be seen by your level of giving, specifically whether or not you're working your way towards tithing. And because we have people at our church who are pursuing Jesus, our hearts should be changing. And if it's not changing, at the very least, it should be chewing on what it means and looks like to change. The first week of this series, we passed out more than 400 bags of Big League Chew because we said we know this is going to be a difficult week. To come and talk about giving for a month, we know it's hard to chew on giving. So chew on gum and keep coming and listening to giving. So some of you have been chewing in your spirit on what it's going to look like to give and how you're going to do that. And we've been talking about tithing. Malachi talks about tithing. For those of you who are brand new, tithing, the word tithe means tenth. It means giving 10% of your income as an offering to God. And Malachi says that when you don't do that, you rob God. I'm going to walk you through that in just a minute. But the real question of giving that Malachi asks in Malachi Malachi chapter 3 is this. Are you giving to God or taking from God? That's a simple question for someone trying to look more like Jesus. When it comes to giving, are you giving to God Or are you taking from God? That's why the title of our Bible study on top of your notes today is give or take. Those are kind of friendly words. The words Malachi used are rob or receive. Are you robbing God 
or receiving from God. Now, no one ever wants to be accused of robbing anyone of anything, but Malachi lays it out pretty straight in Malachi chapter 3. Number one, he says this. He says, when you don't tithe, you rob from God. I just want you to see this real clear in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Malachi says, when you don't tithe, you rob from God. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes, in offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, let me say something, because there's a, you, you need to hear this a couple different ways. Some of you in this room have just been called out spiritually. You've been in church most of your life. You would consider yourself a pretty mature Christian. You understand the basics of giving and receiving, and yet you don't tithe. This passage is calling you out. It's saying, you should know better. You need to quit stealing from me. Um, Dear you, love God. It's not from me. That's from God. I just want you to know that. None of this is from me. I'm just, I'm telling you what he said. That's for a specific group of people. There's another group of you in here who this is the first time you're hearing this. And I would say you, like the Apostle Paul, I don't want to say you're off the hook, but I want to say you're more lightly accused. The Apostle Paul said there was a lot of things in his spiritual life he wasn't held accountable for because he acted in ignorance and unbelief, which means he didn't know any better. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, I never even heard the word tithe up until three or four weeks ago. Is God accusing me of robbing him? No, he's not. You're learning some really important principles. And now you've got some really important faith steps to take. But if you're not someone who's been around church a long time and is not doing this, God isn't calling you out. And if you're brand new, if you're a guest, we don't want you to give it all. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and every Sunday we have people come to our church who aren't Christians, if you're not a Christian, this command isn't even for you. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to tithe. These are commands that are for the children of God. This is God as our Father. We said last week that God was a good Father, which means we believe He's generous and we believe He's authoritative, which means whatever He tells us we think is good for us, but even if it's hard because He has authority, we do what He says because He's in charge. But if you're not a Christian, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to give anything. And if you're a brand new Christian at our church, we just want you to learn. We don't want you to give. We don't even want you to feel conviction. We just want you to learn. But for those of you who've been growing up in church, and 10% doesn't come off the top of everything you get, God says, you're stealing from me, and you know better. It's very, very clear. Now, this isn't a fatal flaw spiritually because of Jesus and his forgiveness, which means this doesn't separate you from Jesus. This, This doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. This isn't a fatal flaw spiritually because of Jesus and his forgiveness, but it is an issue that can destroy your heart. That's what Malachi is saying. Your tithing is hurting your heart, and your heart is keeping you from being close to God. So some of you, really all of you, unless you're brand brand new to our church, you can and should start your giving journey right now at whatever level that you can. If you're a brand new Christian, you've been created in the image of God, you should start giving something, even if it's a dollar every Sunday, there's something in you that wants to give and you should give. If you're pretty new to the faith and you're just kind of getting on your feet, you need to give what you can as you can. Matter of fact, we've heard feedback from people in our church saying, listen, you've got to give me better ways to give because if you're under the age of 30, you don't even know what a checkbook is. And most of us don't carry around a bunch of cash um, in our pocket all the time. So we had our church actually put together, there's a card in your bulletin, this thing called Smart Giving. We're, we're actually introducing giving by text message in our church because a lot of people are saying, I, you know, I do all my giving online. 
And I'd love to give in the offering, but I never have any money. So some of you here, the simplicity you need to start giving is just an easier way to do it. So you can go to this number, you can text give, it'll connect you to something that kind of leads you through a process. If you have any questions, you can let us know about that. But we said, hey, we need to make it easy. We need to make it simple for people to give. Because we live in a world that doesn't, you know, give checks and dollars all the time anymore. But the people of God should be able to give. So we want to simplify giving. We're calling this week starting on the 15th and going through the 20th generosity week. And we want everyone to give on generosity week. We've been praying for many of you that this will be the week you go from giving like you're giving to tithing. One of the men in our church was talking to Pastor Ryan last week. And he said, my wife and I have not been tithing like we should, but we are going to tithe 10% of our mid-month March um, paycheck. We're going to give 10%. And we're going to try to keep doing it after that. We're asking people, listen, if you're not giving at all, give on Generosity Week. If you're giving a little bit, give more on Generosity Week. If you're giving consistently but it's not a tithe, tithe on Generosity Week. If you've been tithing on Generosity Week, consider giving a gift above your tithe either to us or somebody else this week. That this week, let your generosity be seen. Tithing is not a fatal flaw, but it does hurt your heart. And some of you have been saying, I agree with everything you say, Christian, and when I have enough money, I'm going to begin tithing. But that's not really the spirit that Malachi is talking about. If you're waiting on the cash to obey the command, basically you're saying, when God gives me more, then I'll give what he asks for me. But that's not the way it works. That's you saying, I'm in charge, and if God will do this for me, I'll do this for him. That's actually not the way it works. It keeps leading back to this heart of trust and how soft your heart is to do what God is telling you to do. I get lots of feedback on every message that I give here. And a few weeks ago, after the first message, I called the director of our finance team, his name Jeff Roberts, and I said, Jeff, what you, would you think about the message? Um, what information do you have for me? Between services today, I'll talk to a couple of our elders and members of our finance team, and I'll say, what should I change? What should I say? What should I not say? I've been giving these messages to our staff every week before I come preach them to you. Um, and I said, Jeff, what do you think? And he said, it was all right. And I said, um, what should I change? And he said, Christian, let me ask you a question. He said, how many people you think we have at our church that tithe? Like actually give 10%. Like when they get paid, they just give 10%. How, how many people you think we have? And I said, Jeff, probably a lot. I mean, I, I don't know what people give. I don't look at what people give. So I, I, don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. But I would guess a lot. People who look at our church tell us that we have a really generous church. And he said, okay, um, let me ask you another question. How many people do you think that came to our church and were not tithers, have started tithing since they came to our church because of the teaching that you've got. And I thought for a minute, and I said, I can only think of one. I've actually, in four years, only had one person say, I've started tithing. And Jeff said, Christian, I think you're a little bit of the problem to our people in their giving. Because he said, you're trying to be so sensitive in how you're talking about giving you're telling people to give 2%, 4%, 6%. You're teaching people that this is about finances, not about faith. And he said, I would just challenge you. People don't get from 10% to 10%, uh, to, from 2% to 10% over a period of 20, 25 years through raise. He said, they just have to step out and tithe. He actually said, I, I think you're the problem because you're teaching people about finances rather than faith. Tithing is not finances. Tithing is faith. You either do it or you don't. I actually had a first-time guest who came a few weeks ago, and I, I kind of did the whole spiel of, hey, you don't have to give, and we don't want your money, which is all true. I actually had a first-time guest kind of rebuke me. He, he put on his notes, Christian, it would be a disservice to God's people to not 
talk about giving. Well done, solid teaching. As a first-time attender, I was impressed. So I've actually got people who don't even go to our church saying, you probably need to teach your people. It's a disservice what you're doing, trying to teach them about finances rather than faith. Because at the end of the day, it's a hard issue. And Malachi says you can't let the issue of tithing harden your heart. Jesus comes back and he says in Matthew 6, 21 through 24, speaking about the heart and money, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So tithing shows whether you trust and serve God or whether you trust and serve money. And if Jesus is changing hearts, Jesus will change the way you give. It might take a while, but I promise you, if Jesus is changing your heart, Jesus will change the way that you give. But usually giving is the last thing that comes to God in your spiritual journey. And even when you come back to God, sometimes, usually, giving is the last thing that comes back to God. This was the case of Israel in the time of Malachi. Everything had returned to God, except the tithe. And Malachi says, you need to bring that now too. So listen, as we get to generosity week, as you just go through your life, give. I mean, give what you can, when you can. Give as much as you can as you work your way toward the tithe. Take a step of faith and begin giving 10%. I mean, just do something, knowing that every time you give, you're going to bless somebody radically through your generosity. But also knowing that when you give 10%, you don't just bless somebody else. The Bible says you bless yourself. Malachi says, number two, when you tithe, you receive from God. So Malachi says, when you don't tithe, you rob from God. But when you do tithe, you receive from God. Look at Malachi 3, 10 through 12. These are three of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because one of the only things I do good spiritually is tithing. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. It's not me, it's my parents. But I love these verses because if I get an A in anything spiritually, it's tithing. Thank you, mom and dad. Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your field will not drop the fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You see, when you tithe according to the Bible, you receive blessing. When you tithe, you receive blessing. You say, what does it look like? I don't know. I can't tell you what blessing looks like to you or what blessing looks like to me. All I know is probably we miss it most of the time. We consider not having a bad day a good day rather than a blessed day. It's usually not until we see something bad happen to somebody else do we feel blessed that it didn't occur to us. But the Bible says that when you tithe, you're blessed. But then God kind of goes a step beyond blessing. God says, test me in your giving. Don't just tithe, but test me in your giving. I've had people asking me since we started, why does JCI give 12% instead of 10%? We've been talking about tithe means 10th. The Bible says that a church shouldn't take an offering of the tithe unless they give a tenth of that money away, unless they tithe off the tithe. So why do we give 12 instead of 10? Because God nudges us here on the issue of giving. God says, tithe, you should tithe, return the tithe. But then God says, I... I dare you, I dare you to tithe and to do more. I dare you to see if you can outgive me. In Malachi 3.10, God says, test me in this, in tithing, in giving. 
says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be enough room to store it. This is the only place in the Bible where we are not only allowed, but challenged to test God. It's the only place in all 66 books where God says, try me, I dare you. See if you can outgive me. You should tithe, but I dare you. Do more and see what happens. You see, we have learned at our church, and I have learned personally as a Christian, as I look at Malachi chapter 3, you give 10% out of obedience. But when you begin to give beyond that, you give out of expectation. You see, obedience says God gave to me and I have to give back 10%. Expectation says when I give more than 10%, God says he's going to bless me so much more. God said, see if you don't receive so much blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, so much blessing. I'll do it again. Look at, the, look at the neighbor that you weren't planning to talk to today and say, say so much blessing. You see, when you give 10%, you're doing your duty. You're saying, God, I'm obeying you. God, I'm a faithful servant. When you give 10.1%, 10.5%, 11%, 12%, when you tithe, you're saying, God, I'm being obedient. When you do more than the tithe, you're saying, God, I'm being expectant. You dared me, so here we go. Bang. You said, I dare you. There you go. So we said as a church, we're always going to do more than to tithe because we're going to give out of the expectation that you can't outgive God. I can't tell you how long it's been since Danielle and I have tithed. We quit tithing long ago because we said that's just obedience. We want to live in expectation. At one point several years ago before God called us to start the church, we were giving away 25%. Every time we got paid, the first 25% gross came off the top, and we just kept daring God. We started 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, got up to 25 before we said, okay, we're going to start a church, not having money, so let's, you know, let's get closer back down to 10, <laughs> and then we'll start building up again. But I can't tell you how long it's been since we've given 10% because we like to test God. We give out of expectation. Every time I give, I think I wonder what God's going to do now. Every time I write a check, I think, I wonder what God's going to do now. My, my little girl Casey made $27 babysitting this week, and yesterday on the way to lunch, she said, Dad, I made $27. What should my tithe be? And I said, three bucks. And she said, uh, is that a little more? I said, don't worry about it. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Give him that 30 cents, you will not regret it. So our core belief is we believe in generosity because you can't outgive God. Some of you in here have been tithing like me your entire life. You've never even thought about going to 11%, 12%, 13 14 15 You tithe out of obedience, but you don't yet give out of expectation. I want to challenge you. Think about what Malachi says and look at the blessing that God offers. Secondly, the Bible says that when you tithe, you receive protection. Verse 11, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I'll protect you. So we believe protecting the tithe is really, really important at our church. Do you know you can't serve on our staff unless you tithe 10% of your income? And that's not a requirement that we make people take after they come on our staff. They don't get on our team unless they do that. Because it says something about where their heart is spiritually. Do you know you can't serve as an elder on our church unless you're a tither? So that doesn't seem fair. Let me ask you a question. A few months ago, one of our finance team members and I were sitting with a bank we were talking about the building we were going to build and the loan process. And the banker was looking at our financials and we were talking about how much of a building we could build. And he said this. He said, you know that 12% um, that you guys give away? He said, those, those are not really bills. Those are not really expenses. If you added that, you could take this much more of a loan. And when we walked out, I said to our finance guy, 
We ain't going with that bank because he doesn't understand that money's not ours. Now, what if we had elders and finance team members who used their tithe to build their businesses when they needed a little extra money, and they said, no, 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 Christian, we should do that. Let's take three years of that 12%. Let's just invest it in the building. We can make a good case that we'll reach more people. That's kind of like missions. Would you be comfortable giving a tenth of your money to a church that says we're going to give a tenth of it away, and then we just invest it in something else when we deem necessary? So we said, we can't put people on our elder team who don't have this as a foundation of their theology because they could hurt our church and steal from our people. So they can't, they can't be on our team. They can't make financial decisions and, unless they see 10 as 9. You see, the Bible says when you start tithing, you develop a reputation, number three. You develop this reputation that people see you as a people who bring a blessing to them because of the way you give. In Malachi 3.12, it says, When you tithe, all the nations will call you blessed. So for those of you who do tithe, let me ask you a question. How did you learn? Whose reputation did you watch to learn how to be a blessing in giving? Because for me, it was my parents. Do you know how my mom and dad taught me how to tithe? They taught me how to tithe um, through the tooth fairy. If there's any young people in here, we'll, we'll just go with that. Um, they taught me how to tithe through the tooth fairy. Every time I would lose a tooth, the tooth fairy would put a dollar under my pillow And then my mom and dad on the way to church would give me a dime. I literally learned to tithe by watching my parents and receiving dimes with dollars. My mom and dad would never give me a dollar without a dime. Because when they gave me a dollar, they would give me a dollar and say, Christian, now this part is God's. And they never gave me a dollar without giving me a dime. My mom and dad never gave me a $10 bill. They would give me a five and five ones. Because my mom and dad taught me that Christians never really receive a $10 bill. You know, when a Christian who really has a theology of tithing looks at a $10 bill, they see a $9 bill. You see, when a Christian gets given this, they think, I have this much now. You see, Christians don't deal in the world of Benjamins. Christians deal in the world of $90 bills. Every time I go to the bank, or I get paid, or somebody, I do a wedding, or I do something for somebody, somebody gives me a, a gift at Christmas, and they put a $100 bill in it. I look at that $100 bill, and I see this. See, Christian math says nine is greater than ten. It just does. That's what tithing does. And see, my mom and dad taught me a reputation. You get a dollar with a dime, give the dime. You, 10 equals 9. 100 equals 90. My mom and dad taught me that, that everything is 90% of what it looks like. Because the first 10% is God's. He's just testing you to see whether you really believe that. So when my paycheck gets deposited into my account or it comes in the mail, it is 90% of what it looks like and the rest is God's. Not only for me personally, but for our church. If our church has a million dollars, that means we have about $880,000 to spend because we give the first 12% away regardless of what a banker says we should do. Amen? Let me ask you this. Is it possible one of the reasons you struggle so much in this area of tithing is because you never saw your parents give? So it's hard for you now? And is it possible that if you don't fix this area of tithing, your kids are going to be sitting in here when they're 20, 30, 40, and they're going to be hearing this sermon and they're going to be struggling because no one showed them how this was done. You know, we take an offering every time our kids meet, both in the little kids, our preschoolers, and our J kids. You know, they take an offering every Sunday to teach these kids how great it is to give. 
And then as a mom and dad, you could be teaching tithing every time you give them dollars and dimes and tens and ones. If you're really generous to your kids, Benjamins with some tens. It's possible to teach your kids generosity. And then finally, when you tithe, you receive eternity. When you tithe, the Bible says you receive eternity. Malachi 3.12 says it this way. When you tithe, yours will be a delightful land. We have to understand, just like the Old Testament looks towards Jesus, this comment looks towards eternal life. Because some of you are saying, I did tithe and I did not experience a delightful land. So I tithed once, I wasn't blessed, so I stopped. I took a 90-day tithe challenge, I tithed for 90 days, I didn't see any blessing in that, so I stopped. I tithed while I had a lot of money, and when I didn't have a lot of money, I stopped. You know where I learned that the ultimate reward of tithing is, is eternal and not in the temporal? It's when I went to India. It's when I went to Kenya. It's when our church goes to Guatemala. And I see men and women. I see women who are working to provide for their families. I see farmers who are still giving a tenth of their crops. And they're not expecting that they'll ever be rich in this lifetime for giving. They're giving for eternity. And I realize tithing is, is eternal. Tithing is, is not a 401k that you're investing in so you get it back later. Tithing is eternal. And the Bible says that when you tithe, yours will be a delightful land. Maybe not right away, but one day we'll live in a delightful land because of the treasures we've laid up in heaven. You know, as I think about our church and its people, as I think about this season in our church, as I think about our tithing as individuals and as an organization, I can't help but be haunted by this question of Malachi's. This final question on your sermon notes, could we, as people and as an organization, could we at Journey repeat history? By living in a safe and well-built community and worshiping in a church that God has allowed us to build but still not tithe so that all the ministry God has called us to do can be done to the highest impact possible. I mean, could we be like the people of Israel in Malachi chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 that allowed God to restore us, that allowed God to return us, that allowed God to bless us with a community and a church, but we held back on Him because for some reason our hearts never connected to that reality of what God did for us? I thought, Lord, don't let that be us. Don't let that be us. Let us have our eyes wide open to what you've done. And let us respond. I'm going to invite our band to the stage now. And we're going to sing the hardest song for me to sing when I have faith moments that I have to take. Two years ago, as we were getting ready and we were planning to start our building, Danielle and our worship team introduced a song to our church called Oceans. And there's a line in that song that says, Take me deeper than my feet would ever wonder. So my faith will will become stronger in the presence of my Savior. As I was contemplating in my heart with our finance team and our elders whether or not it was time to build a building, I was scared. Because for me, it was, it was going to be a massive faith step to try to step out and lead our church to build a building. And when we would sing that song, those words would come on the screen. And for weeks, I wouldn't say them. I would just cry and I would think about them. Because I thought, Lord, I don't know if I want to go deeper than I've ever been. I don't know that I want to live without borders. God, what if I drown? What if I fall? What if I get lost? And that's how some of you are approaching tithing. You're saying, I want to tithe, but I'm afraid to go deeper than I've ever gone before. I want to give like God wants me to go, but I'll have less kind of secure borders around me. What if I fall? I want to go deeper than I've ever been before, but what if I fail spiritually? 
And Malachi says at the end of the day, giving is a heart issue. And Jesus came so that your hearts can be soft again. So parents think about their kids. So kids think about their parents. He basically said Jesus is going to open up your heart so you think about people other than yourself. And the result of that part of the image of God in you is that 100 becomes 90, 10 becomes 9. It's just very, very easy to give God what is His in trust and maybe even more in expectancy because of what He's done for us. As we get ready to close this series and we finish it off next week, I understand I'm asking you to go deeper than you've ever gone. I understand I'm asking you to live without maybe some borders that you've had around you. But I'm asking you to go closer to God than you've ever been before. And I promise you that's safer than where you're at today. Being closer to God than you've ever been before is actually the safest place you could ever be on planet Earth. And I believe giving is a place that can move us that direction. Would you stand and pray?